0: All right, let's uh, go ahead, and I'm going to jump right in this because uh, I don't want to want to make sure we give all of us sufficient time. And by all of us, I mean me. Uh, let's turn to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter number 3. And uh, <clears throat> I thought as I began to study for all this and kind of uh, get my mind oriented and about what the Lord would have us talk about, I ended up here uh, really kind of inadvertently uh, it started somewhere else, and you know how things happen. But uh, as I was beginning to study throughout the week, uh, over here in uh, 1st 2nd Timothy, Titus, uh, these are books of the Bible known as the pastoral epistles, uh, or that's what they're commonly called. Now, that doesn't mean that they're just written just for a pastor to read. or And, and I in, understand as we go through this, you're going to hear me at times interchangeably use the word pastor and bishop. In the New Testament, they are interchangeable. Uh, they are the same... Uh, they're a little bit different. I don't want to go down this road too long in the sense that a person doesn't have to necessarily be up here to have the gift, gift of pastoring. That's a gift listed in Ephesians. Uh, but within the local church, there is a position called a bishop, and he also pastors. Uh, but he performs a function in the body in a more uh, spiritual leadership type of a role. So that's really who Paul is writing to here. Uh, Somebody like Justin would really be in the place of a bishop, but he does pastoring. That's his gift. Does that make sense? I hope so. And uh, so these uh, books, these letters are written to a young man, or 1st, 2nd Timothy is written to a guy named Timothy. I bet you didn't figure that out. And the book of Titus was written to a guy named... Nope, his name was LaRon. Sorry, you got it wrong. But no, it was written to a guy named Titus. And so in these books of the Bible, the Apostle Paul are writing these younger men. And we have to stop and think about what it was like as Paul went into a place and he started a church. When we start churches uh, nowadays, it's quite a bit different. Uh, We raise a bunch of money. We have someone that says, Hey, God has wanted me to go and start a church here, do a missionary work. We would get behind that person. If they need finances, we'll give them finances. Uh, We'll send survey teams out with them and help them get that thing started, right? Well, Paul did things a little bit differently. Uh, He would just stroll into town as the Spirit led him. We find he says that often throughout 1 Corinthians, uh, in the book of Acts in particular. He would come into town, and he did have with him an entourage. It was of various people, uh, other Jewish believers and Greek believers. Timothy was one of these guys. And Paul would go into town, and he, in some places, he would just go into a public area and begin to preach. He did that one time. Sometimes he would actually go and rent a space and invite people in. Sometimes he would go into the synagogues and preach, and he would have a group of people with him, and they would go in there, they would preach the gospel, people would be converted, they would spend various amounts of time discipling them. Uh, Then they would install somebody as the bishop of that local church and elders, and they were out. Can you imagine that? That'd freak us out, wouldn't it? If we wouldn't start at a church for, in some places, he was only there for maybe six months or a year. In six months or a year, he has spent all his time preaching the gospel, discipling people. The church there installs a pastor. They lay hands, ordain elders, and they leave town and say, we'll talk to you soon. Now it kind of comes into light why they had so many problems at times, right? <laughs> they didn't have the New Testament or anything. And so what Paul is doing now is Timothy eventually left his missionary team and he stayed in the city of Ephesus and he pastored the church there that was in Ephesus. And so Paul's writing back to him, kind of instructing him on how to perform the office of a bishop and how to go about pastoring uh, people. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to talk to you about uh, a pastor and all that, the ins and outs of that, but it struck me as interesting as what Paul said. And a lot of the times we have a preconceived idea of what church life is like, particularly the function of a pastor. I did when I was attending a church. I remember after I first got saved and I was going to church, it wasn't very long that I figured out certain just, I don't want to say criterias, but just kind of understandings that we had a pastor did. If you were sick in the hospital, what did you expect if you were a member of a church? pastor's going to be there at the hospital, right? If you were having a baby, where was he at? doing that baby prayer, right, you know? And uh, I had a pastor of mine tell us one time in college, he said, listen, don't go into a, uh, uh, into a new a mother's room, a mother just given birth, and she's sitting there, and she's got this baby, and she holds that thing up. Don't look at that thing if it ain't pretty and say that's the most beautiful thing, beautiful thing I've ever seen. He said, what you do to keep from lying is you look at it and you say, now that's a baby. And then you do the baby prayer, and you get out of Dodge for you say something you don't mean. And uh, you do weddings, right? You do the funerals, right? All those things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. Every now and again, you expect him to kind of, well, in the south, we expect him to knock on the door and just say, hey, I wanted to say hey to y'all. We we kind of expect those things, don't we? I want to encourage you to go back and read 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus when you get a chance and you won't see a whole lot of that. What you're going to see, though, is Paul talking to the... the man, and I'm not like trying to do anything... I don't even know why I have to say this, but just in case it might be in the back of somebody's mind. I am not trying to backhandedly or anything like that say anything about our church or our pastor. I feel like our pastor's great. I feel like he does a good job in his position. What I'm getting to is this, is that it would do well for all of us to go back and read these pastoral epistles because it will reset in our minds what it is God's called the bishop of a local church or the pastor of a local church to accomplish. What is his goal? What has God said I want? And really you can boil it down in a very simplistic way to two things. Be a man of character and preach the word of God. That's the two things that you see all throughout 1 Timothy and Titus. So look at chapter 3. We're going to read a real long section of Scripture. I'm going to do the best I can by the grace of God to get through some of this and hopefully make it cohesive and make it make sense, be a blessing to you, and uh, hopefully we'll understand where the gospel fits into all this. Now look at chapter 3, please, with me. I'm reading the New King James Version if you want to follow along word for word. Uh, Verse number 1. Now Paul says this to Timothy. He says, Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And that one has always struck me as odd when I read that list. Isn't that just, an, it just, that's just a strange one to be right there in the middle of bla, like blasphemers? Oh, and disobedient to parents. That's, that's an interesting one just to think about. Just saying. Disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God. And notice this, having a form of godliness but denying the power. And he says, from such people turn away. Well, that's strong language, isn't it? He goes on and he says, for of this sort of those who creep into households and make captive... Of gullible women, laden down with their sins, and led away by various lusts. Now, lady, don't take that the wrong way. All right, what he's saying here is this: is that these guys take advantage of people. These types of that's what he's saying. They take advantage. He's not saying like, oh, there's all they there's all these wicked women that just run around with. No, that's not what's happening here. All right, and he says in verse seven about these people, these that have this this mentality. He says, they are always learning and they're never, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses. Now, this is actually some insight into the Old Testament because this was the, obviously the name of two of the sorcerers that the Pharaoh called in to repeat uh, kind of what Moses was doing. There are those miracles in the throne room. So these two guys were the Egyptian sorcerers. He says, "Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these resist the truth? Men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no more, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also." And now he's going to switch. He's going to switch gears. He's going to say, "But you have carefully followed." Now notice what he says. My doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering love, perseverance, excuse me, perseverance, perseverance. Golly. Thanks, Theodore High School. That's you. <laughs> persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them the Lord delivered, delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but even men and imposters... Now, notice what he says. He says they're going to grow worse and worse. They're not going to get less and less. They're going to become more and more of this. These type of people that are out there deceiving, they are out there preaching a form of godliness, implying, as Paul said over in another section of 1 Timothy, that godliness comes with great gain. You know what that means? the better you're feeling and doing financially, the more godly you are. You ever heard that gospel before? Prevalent in the western part of the world, is it not? I'm, I'm trying not to get sidetracked. I'm trying not to. Let's read more verses. He says in verse 14, he changes again, and he says, But you must continue in the things that you have learned and have been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. And from a child you have known the holy scriptures which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. Chapter 4. I charge you therefore. Now listen to his language. He says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Now, isn't that interesting that he says that? He says all these things about what's going on around him. And then he makes this comment at the end. Here's how you apply all that. Preach what the Word says. Now, I don't know about you, but and I'm gonna, this is going to dovetail, so hold on, hang on with me, all right? Just roll with me. There's a book that I would encourage some of you to get. It's really not a book you sit down and read from cover to cover. It's kind of topical in a sense. Uh, But the name of the book is called Dying Words of Saints and Sinners. Has anybody ever heard of this book? It's kind of an older book. And basically what it is is it's somewhat of an encyclopedia of a number of different famous people, some that were considered saints and some that were considered sinners, that when they were on their deathbed or in the last days of their life, when they knew that they were about to pass away, it is a collection of quotes and thoughts and things of that nature that they said right before they passed off into eternity. It's very interesting. Some... uh, (laughs) One of the most intriguing things that I read, and I don't want to quote it, I'll just whet your appetite and you can go look it up, is what Charles Darwin said right before he passed. It's very, very interesting. You wouldn't expect it, what he said. And there's a lot of things about his life that you wouldn't have expected, but nonetheless. So get that book. The reason why I bring it up is because what we just read is really the last written word that Timothy or that Paul was going to be making to Timothy. Now the reason why we know this is down in chapter four and verse number six, if you want to look at that. These is how, this is how we know this is the last written word that Paul made to this young man, because he says, in chapter four verse six, "I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith." You know what he's saying? It's not going to be much longer, and I'm not going to be here anymore. And he could have told Timothy a number of different things that would have been very helpful. But you know what he reiterated to Timothy? You are facing an environment that is the exact opposite of who Jesus Christ is. You are also facing an environment that needs Jesus Christ. So as a result, number one, remember what you were taught from a child... Understand what the scriptures are, and then take those scriptures and preach those scriptures. You know why? Because all of our niceties can't replace the truth of the gospel. None of them can. And Paul understood this, so he said, preach the word. Rebuke, reprove, correct, in season, out of season, be ready when it's convenient, when it's not. Be ready to preach the word because, let's be honest, it's easy for us to preach the gospel in America, isn't it? I mean, we're going to do it here in just a minute. I got a point. That's all about the gospel. It's easy for us. Why? Because we don't face the persecution like these guys did. I mean, they would literally be ran out of town on a rail at times, persecuted, put in prison, all this stuff. And Paul could have told him a number of things, and it just struck me as it just captured my attention that of all the advice that he could close down with, the advice towards a bishop, he could have said, listen, make sure you love people. Now, just because he didn't say that doesn't mean he doesn't want him to do that. All right, so let's not make an an argument from silence. But he could have said, make sure you grow the church. You know, first off, Paul didn't think that way, but I'm just spitballing here. He could have said a number of things, but he said, preach a word. The pastor, the bishop's primary job, the main responsibility he can have to us as as the church, the body of Christ is to rightly divide the word of truth and hand it to us on a regular basis. There, there's no other greater... I would rather, uh, I'd rather a bishop miss praying for my newborn than miss giving me the word of God on a regular basis and, and dividing the word of truth properly. I would rather him miss out on my grandmother's funeral, you know, though he's going to miss those funeral potatoes, you know. I would rather him miss out on all those things. My point being is this. We have an elevated idea of what we think the primary role of the bishop is. And God steps in and says, all those things are fine, but if I had to give one last word, I'd give you this word. Paul says, know the scripture, preach the word. Know the scripture, preach the word. So this morning, I want us to see... The reason why he said that is because spiritual growth and spiritual discernment come from a constant relationship with God's revealed written word. That's where it's birthed from. That's where it comes out of. Then we're not having to reach out into the ether to try to determine what is it like for me to walk with God? What does that mean? What does it even look like? We can go back and we see a number of different people's narratives in their life and then we draw out of that from Scripture. This is what it's like. To walk with God. This is what it's like to live the Christ life. This is what it is like to be spirit-filled. We know all that. So we don't have to go out and look around and say, well, what is it like? God has answered so many of the questions that we have on a regular basis about basic things in the Word of God that we stumble over. Now, I'm saying that to you because that's me. All right? I'm kind of preaching to the choir, if I could. So I hope to show this morning that God, having given us His written Word, in, in, in conjunction with the Holy Spirit of God, he, they are going to lead us through the mind fill of error into a grace-filled, God-honoring relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the word's there for. It's not a textbook. It's not just, a, it, I mean, though it has facts in it, the Bible's not a science book when it talks about science, so it's right. Interesting side note, I gotta say it. I don't know, I always find this so Interesting. You know, it wasn't up until like maybe a few hundred years ago that doctors learned that you, if you're going to operate on one patient, you need to wash your hands and sanitize them under running, running water before you should put your hands in the body of another patient. You know the Bible talked about that thousands of years ago? If you go back and look in Leviticus, God said if there's a person that has a wound, go wash them in running water take them out of the running running water, and then go wash yourself in running water. We didn't figure it out until the late 1800s, you know. We're like, what do I do, you know? Why are these people getting gangrene? Wash your hands in running water, all right? That's why. Side note on gangrene. Only thing you'll remember from church this morning. (laughs) All right, so what I want us to do this morning with the time we have left, and I'm going to run through this quickly and hopefully engagingly, and hopefully it will be a blessing to you. I want us to look at what Paul emphasized about the Scriptures to Timothy as to why he ended up with a statement like preach the Word. Okay, can we do that? Let's do it this morning. All right, the first thing I want us to consider is this about the Word of God or about the Bible. I'm just going to call it the Bible. That's okay, I think. Uh, the classification of the Bible. Look at verse number 15 with me back over in chapter number 3. Now, we're going to look at chapter, uh, verse number 15, 16, and 17 of chapter 3. That's what we're going to go through. So, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15, the classification of the Scripture. Where does it fall? Now, look what Paul says to him. He says, and that from a child, from your childhood, you have known, and just a simple little phrase, he says, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now, they didn't call it a Bible back then, necessarily. The Bible is a word that just means a collection of books or a collection of something. Uh, They would refer to it as the sacred writings, which is what this word means. And this is how Paul classifies what he was writing to Timothy as something that was holy and something that was written down and something that was sacred. This is very important for us to come into terms with because what, the, what God is saying here about himself is this, is that the Bible is, an, is the only work that stands alone and is incomparable and superior to all other writings. It is the holy writing. It is the one that is the final and ultimate authority about which we, uh, where we gain knowledge about the person of Jesus Christ. You know, from time to time, you'll see these different these different little things pop up. Like uh, there's like the Book of Enoch. Boop. You ever heard of that? When it pops up, everybody's like, "What insight can we gain from the Book of Enoch?" Nothing other than literary stuff and probably some historic stuff. It's not inspired of God. And if I find it interesting that mainly the world, the church really don't have a problem with this. We understand, for the most part, what the Scripture is saying about itself. And so we're not meandering around out there in the world trying to find something to shed more light into what God has already put together for us. But it's interesting here that Paul refers him back. Now, the, the, the even more interesting than this is that when Paul tells Timothy, "Remember the Holy Scriptures, what do you think he was talking about? He was talking about the Old Covenant. There were a few letters floating around at this point that uh, were inspired and were being considered inspirational by the churches, and they were getting passed around. But even in this moment, Paul is telling Timothy, remember how you learned about all this stuff, even under the Old Covenant. What I love about this is that Jesus even referenced this to validate who he was. You'll remember at one point in John chapter 5, Basically, the Pharisees come at Jesus and they say, you know, you need to give us some proof to who you are. Or Basically, they didn't say it that way. They basically said, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, that's how they put it. And Jesus went on to talk about the threefold witness and said, you know, he talked about how I have a witness within myself and the Father witnesses of me. You remember that story in John chapter 5. And then he kind of, he, he, he ties it all together when he says this to them. He says, you search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. Now here's what he was saying. He was saying, "Listen, the he, you, you think the scriptures themselves just having them provide you with some sort of life giving power, but the fact of the matter is, is that they don't because they saw that like a lot. Of, sometimes within Christianity, we see the Bible as the fourth member of the Trinity. You know, and the Bible is not the fourth member of the Trinity. All right, the Bible is a written representation of the God, of God Himself to us. All right." We don't worship it, we worship the God of the Bible. And so Jesus told these Pharisees, He goes, Well, search the scriptures that you got, that you think so highly of, that you trust by just simply having them in your proximity helps you in some way. He said, Search those scriptures. He says, For they are the ones which testify of me. You see, the scriptures are the final authority of who Jesus Christ is, I'm not. No denomination is. The Scripture itself is. These holy Scriptures. There was another instance you'll remember where these the Sadducees, not the Pharisees, the Sadducees. The Sadducees were like the progressives of the day, is what they were in Jesus' day. So they were always reimagining things. The Bible tells us the, Pharisees, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They came up to Jesus, and they gave him this hypothetical situation. And the funny thing is, is they all probably sat around for hours coming up with this thing. And they came up to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, there was a woman. And she married a man, and he died. And according to Mosaic Law, his brother stepped in and married her and took care of her, and he died. And then the third one, the third brother stepped in and took care of her. Now, if I was brother number four, (laughs) I mean, all right, one, two, it's a fluke. Number three, what is this lady putting in the matzo bread? What's going on? All right, what, what, what's he doing at dinner? You know, something bad's going on here. So they, they repeat this scenario all the way down to seven. Seven, listen, ladies, first off, we know this is a lie because all of you ladies are too intelligent to involve yourself with seven men at this point. All right, you'd be like, you know what? Number one, he's all right. Number two, eh, I'm done, all right? You can have the rest of them. The other five, I'm out, okay? So you know how you know how it's a bunch of men that made this story up. And so, uh, and so they come to Jesus, and they present him this story. And I'm so—could j- you just imagine the look on Jesus' face sometimes when they're telling the story? He's just sitting there like, a, like, what? All right, all right, all right. But he takes it, very obviously, very seriously. We wouldn't, or I wouldn't. I'd probably get all snippy. I know it's hard for you to believe. But uh, Jesus responds to them in an interesting manner. He says this. He says, first off, you're mistaken. Jesus told them, look, you're wrong. He says, you are mistaken. Why? Not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. And then he launches into his description of why they were wrong from there. Paul looks at Timothy and he said, "This, this is what we have to understand. If we want to know what the power of God is and we want to know what's right about the character, nature, and the way that God operates, we'll be acquainted with the Scriptures. We won't have to be wondering on a regular. Now, I'm not saying God can't do things spontaneous that he didn't write down in the Bible. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that God can sneak up and surprise you and you know that it fits within the character of God. I'm not saying that either. What I am saying, though, is like what Jesus told the Sadducees Don't make assumptions on the character of God based on your scenarios. That's what he was saying. You're mistaken because you don't know the Scriptures, and you don't understand the power of God or the way that God operates. In verse number 15, so we see how the Bible is classified, Holy Scriptures. I want you to see how Christ is revealed in the Bible in verse number 15, the end of it. He says, and that from a child you have known the Holy Scriptures, and these Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible is very, very narrow when it comes to the way of salvation. Even Jesus himself said broad's the way, right? Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path, is narrow. Jesus said narrow statements all the time. John fourteen 6, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's a narrow statement. The Scripture's narrow. Now, the world's going to see, not see the Scripture as narrow. It's going to see it as bigoted. That's the, that's the, the word you swap out for narrow. It's going to see it as bigoted. They're going to say it's misogynistic. They're going to say it's racist. They're going to say it's homophobic. Uh, they're going to say it's all kinds of things. You put an obia at the end of a word, and it's a thing now, right? And they're going to label that on the Scripture. And understand that when the Scripture gets labeled as something, the author of the Scripture is being accused of something. Because what the Scripture says is what the author said. They're inseparable. You can't take these two apart. And one of my favorite verses about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ's saving ability is in Acts chapter number 13. Now, Paul's preaching again. He's preaching to a room full of Gentiles, those that were equated with Judaism. And then he says this to them, Therefore, let it be known unto you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Christ, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Well, that's a good sermon, isn't it? He basically looked at a room full of uh, Jews at the day and said, the way that you're doing it won't work. Everything about what you're doing will not justify you. Paul didn't mince his words when it came to this because he needed to move on to the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. Today, we would say it like this. Paul would stand up and say, I don't care what member of a church you are, it will not justify you from your sin. He would say, it does not matter if you have been baptized till you know every fish in the creek by first name basis, it will not remove sin. You can take communion until the little bread sucks all the moisture out of your mouth for all of eternity. All right? And you can take the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic, grape juice, wine, whatever you want to call it, until you can't see straight and it will not take away sin. That's what Paul, he wouldn't say it like that, but he would say it something like that. He would attack the self-justifying motives and actions, behaviors, and thought processes that those in this society have taken to themselves in order to justify themselves before God. That's what they would do. And he would call it out just like he called it out here. Why? Because he wants to get the exclusive claim that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is throughout every aspect of the hemisphere of every place in the world the only way by which men are saved. It doesn't matter the color of their skin, their nationality, what dialect or language they speak of. Jesus Christ's claims stand as him being the only one that can justify from sin. That's it. We find that in the scriptures. You see, if, if we were just religionists, we would just go out in the world, and uh, we would just proclaim what we think. Now, last time I preached, you found out that I like to listen to podcasts about serial killers, and I thank you for coming back, even though you knew that. I will also confess to you openly, I like to listen to podcasts about cults. All right, so, <laughs> so... Sometimes my kids get in the car, and I don't like to listen to stuff around my kids. they got enough stuff to worry about in life, other than some weird guy in northern California that wears, like, tinfoil on his head, all right? But I'm interested in that guy, and what in the world he thinks. So uh, sometimes I'll get in the car, and, you know, your your phone just syncs up, and it just starts playing. And they're like, and he took unto himself many, many different people and dug a hole 30 feet deep. And my daughter's like, what is he talking about? (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you don't want to know. If we were religionists, that's what we would do. We would just go out and we would say, this is what we think. We don't have to do that. What we do is we point people right back to the Word of God and we say, that's what God has said about the Scriptures. Now, when they shoot at him, they're going to aim their guns at us. That's what's going to happen. When, when, the, when, the, when it comes to the fallout of that, sometimes we're going to catch the brunt of it because we're standing in the place where we're proclaiming the message and we're identifying with the messenger. Let me ask you this before we move on. It just bears asking. And there are a lot of people watching online too, so I don't want to let this situation go. What exactly are you trusting to make yourself right with God? What is it? That thing that just popped in your mind, what is it? There's only one right answer, just one. If it was Christ and, you need to circle whatever came after the and and address that based on who Jesus Christ is. Sin is too serious and grace is too amazing to try to bless yourself with eternal life. You see, Christ offers eternal life by the goodness that is in his heart. The person of Christ freely gives away forgiveness. He just says, here, you want it? He calls you to it. It's not like we just stumble upon God one day and we find like, salvation, like a little Easter egg under a bush, and we take it out and get all the little chocolates out. That's not the way that it works. We're stuck in a position we can't get out of. And Christ comes and rescues us in that position. He calls us to himself, he rescues us, and he gives us his spirit, and he takes away sin. Which leads me to the next thing I want to comment on, is the scriptures give us security of that forgiveness. I feel so sorry for believers that have to live with question marks where where God has put periods. I feel very sorry. Not in a pat him on the head, pathetic puppy dog kind of way. I mean, my heart really, it hurts for them that they have to go through their spiritual walk wondering where they're at with God all the time. It's just like pulling the arm on a slot machine and hoping they don't get snake eyes or anything of that nature, you know. They want to get all sevens at the end of life, you know. So they're doing the best that they can when they're not even trusting the best that God could do. And the best that God could do was the person of Christ, which was perfection. Over in Hebrews 7, Paul has said, well, we assume it's Paul. He said, therefore, he, speaking of Christ, is also able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. When when Jesus Christ forgives a person, he forgives all of the person. You know, a a lot of times we think we're moment by moment forgivers, aren't we? You know, if you're married, you understand this. Your wife is going to come to... Let me back that up. You're going to go to your wife. All right? Not because wives don't do anything wrong. It's just that the percentage of stupidity that a man carries into the marriage is much higher. So it just by default means that we're going to be in the penalty box more. I get it. I get it. All right? It's fine. I'm not saying I'm okay with it. I just have to accept it. All right? And so the man's going to come to his his wife, and wouldn't it be nice if we did this in any relationship? We just asked you, we said, will you forgive me? And we look at the other person and say, not only art thou forgiven hereunto in the moment, therefore, you know, but so much for off into eternity to come, thou hast been forgiven. Man, (laughs) whoo, you know what I mean? You see... The religionistic mindset is going to look at that and they're going to say, well, if that's the case, then where is the party? You know what I mean? If I'm forgiven of all things. But see, the difference between a legalistic or a religionistic mindset, a way of thinking is this, is that when Christ forgives us, he doesn't just empty a vessel of forgiveness. He fills that person with the Holy Spirit of God, connecting his life his spirit with that person's spirit granting them his life. And then all of a sudden the want to's you have inside of you are different. You know, I can remember after I got saved it's not like I went and like got myself some kind of conservative 1980s stockbroker haircut. You know, and then, you know, drove up to church having already memorized the book of Revelation in Greek. I mean, I wasn't anything of that nature. But all of a sudden, for almost 20 years of my life, I could have cared less about spiritual things. But now I would say, I wonder what they're doing at church this week, or I wonder what the Bible actually says. I remember when I re- I'd i never read the Bible before. And of course, I started in Genesis, that didn't work out too well for me. And so I went over uh, to, um, you know, the New Testament. I read John was the first place I read, as my pastor told me to start at. So I did. I understood about this much of it, but you know what part I did catch? Everywhere it said something about salvation. I called every one of those things that stuck out to me like a sore thumb. And then all of a sudden, I'm I'm, I'm curious about what this means and you know, what God is like, and then I'm reading my Bible uh, on a more, of a more and more of a regular basis. You know, I'm still driving to church. I Listen, I would go to church, and I was one of those, and you, some of y'all aren't from the 90s. Who's, who's a 90s kid? Like a real 90s kid. All right, gotcha. You know, some people say, well, I was born in 99. You're not a 90s kid if you were born in 99, all right? That's not what it counts. I was one of these 90s kids. The back of my Acura Integra was covered in stickers, Just covered, bud. You remember that big blue car I had at school? Just stickers all over the back. Every band I could think of had a sticker on. I would pull up it to church, blaring some of the most hardcore punk rock you've ever heard in your life, and get out and be like, I'm going in there and singing, bringing in the sheaves. And I'd walk in there and love it, you know. I'd sing Amazing Grace, get back into my car, and boom, you know, here comes some kind of hardcore music again. You know why? Because I was in grace, So I'm not saying that when a person comes into contact with Jesus, that everything slides off of them in an instant. But I'll tell you this, their feet will start heading in a different direction. That's what's going to happen. And the minute we make excuses for that, we make excuses for the work of the life of Jesus Christ in a person when they're born again. Now, I'm not saying to be a fruit inspector. That's for fruit of the loom to do. All right. We preach the gospel and minister to people where they're at. All right, I got to hurry up. Look with me in verse number 17. We're going to draw this thing down to a close. Verse number 17. I tell you, No, let's read verse number 16. Let's go back. I think I skipped something, but whatever. Verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This is, this, is uh, this idea of all Scripture being inspiration. This is what I've called the character of the Bible. This is what makes up Uh, the validity of it, what we can trust in when it comes to the Scriptures. It's been inspired of God. Now, the word inspired does not mean the way that we use it a lot of the times in that we see a sunset and we're inspired to go paint a picture of the sunset. You know, that just means that it kind of motivated you or it spoke to you in a way. But the word inspiration here, as the Bible is using it, is a word it's a compound greek word it's like thos neomos it's like it basically means god or theos is what the greek word for god is theos has breathed out the word that's what it gives the idea of So it wasn't like the Spirit of God inspired Timothy or Paul to write certain things. No, the Spirit of God was directly speaking to them in a literal sense about what to write. And when he did so, he incorporated their personalities and things of that nature because he does the same thing with you and I. You know, God relates to me based on who he is, but he also relates to me based on who I am. Now, he's not giving me Scripture to write, the difference being here is that when holy men of God were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote down the Scriptures in a way in which the Holy Spirit of God could preserve them, in which it was a reliable way, I guess is what I'm saying. Second Peter 1.20, Knowing this, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And that is that is we uh, we could preach a whole sermon on that verse. Don't tempt me. I know you're like buddy. It's getting late now. Please don't. I love that word private interpretation within that phrase, because it gives us and you've probably heard me say this before, but it gives us a super interesting English word. The Greek word for private or one's own is how the Old King James interprets it as well. Is the Greek word for it is the Greek word idios. We get the English word idiot out of that. Somebody that is an idiot isn't somebody that's smart. An idiot is somebody whose opinion, they have taken their own opinion and elevated it above everything else. That's an idiot, all right? Or at work, when somebody comes to me, and uh, they're like, buddy, I can't figure this out. I, you probably use this. You kind of work with computers. But I tell them it's an ID10T error. Have you ever seen that one? You've heard of that one? Yeah, I tell them all the time. They're like, this refrigerator's broken. I say, it's probably an ID10T error. I'm like, what's that mean? I'm like, just write it down. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And I come back, and they're like, you think you're funny, don't you? You know? (laughs) I wish I would have made that joke up. But nonetheless, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God is the one that's inspired. It's not like Paul sat around and made things up. And it says in these Scriptures here that the Scripture is not for private interpretation. It's not for me to say, I have gotten special revelation from God, and I am the one. That knows what this really means. And I'll tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, without calling out any names, which I'm incredibly tempted to do, there are plenty of people alive today in evangelical Christianity that say that exact thing about what they, what they read in the Scripture. Like, you can't get it unless they give it to you. The fact of the matter is, is you can get it. Because it's not a matter of that person's interpretation, it's a matter of what God has said it says that it is profitable. Not only is it just reliable in its origin, but it's also profitable uh, for real-world experience because he says at the end of the verse, he says that it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Somebody has said this. I want to read it make sure I get it right. don't want to misquote them. Uh, Doctrine is what is right. Reproof is what's not right. Correction is how to make it right. And instruction in righteousness is how to keep it right. And the scripture comes to us, and the scripture says, here, this is what things are. This is just the truth of the matter. Here is what God's like. Here's what the Holy Spirit's like. Here's what the church's like. Here's what, here's what you're like. Here's who you are. Here's what God's done for you. Here's what God's doing for you. And, and Paul told Timothy, he said, listen, take the scripture and apply these things to anyone that will listen to it. And here's a statement. Because of these things, it is impossible to grow in peace apart from the Scripture. Impossible. We can pray until we're blue in the face, but God has given us 66 books. He has given us all all the knowledge that he knows that we need revealed to you and I. Here. He's starting here. And everything flows out of that. Which leads us to the very last thing, and I'll be finished, I promise. All right, you know it's the only time it's okay for anybody to lie in church is when a pastor says, "I'll be finished with this." You've been very patient and kind with me. Verse seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> oh Fred, I love you. <laughs> I started this, didn't I? I did. It was my fault. You, I would have done the same thing. <laughs> Verse seventeen. Now, why is all Scripture given by inspiration? Why is it profitable for all these things? Here's the outcome, verse number 17, that the man of God, and ladies, you're not out on this one, okay? There's a different application here because he's talking to a pastor specifically, but in general, it's for all of us. He says that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped unto every good work. The construction of the Bible, I'm not talking of, this is what I, I thought of when I uh, was studying. The construction of the Bible, I'm not talking about how it's put together, but how much it puts you together and I together, how it puts us together, I should say. It comes along and it says in verse number 17 that it will complete. Now, I know that we're complete in Christ, I understand that. He's talking about behavior here. Let's just be honest about that. And sometimes in grace communities, we start talking about behavior, we get, we get kind of we shaky. We're like, oh, hold on. But walk lightly there, their partner. Be careful. You're, you're on thin ice now. Don't you bump into legalism. Well, we're not going to bump into legalism when we talk about behavior. The only thing that we're going to talk about is what the spirit of the life of Christ in us is like. How does it work out? How does it flesh out? When, it, when we, we put our shoes on to go out into the world, what does that look like? And it's, the Bible shows us what that is. And it tells us that the Word of God and the Spirit of God, they're going to complete our behaviors. They're going to put them together. The word uh, complete means fit or in shape or in condition for something. I don't know about you, but over the years, the word, going to the Word of God And as I'm reading through the Word of God, I'll read a verse that everybody else in the world reads. Well, so to speak. Other believers open the Bible, read the same verse or the same section of verses. Or or, there is a revealed truth in a book. And I read that and the Holy Spirit of God says something very specific to me about me and about me and him and about what he wants me to know personally. It can be a rebuke, it can be a correction, it can be an exhortation, it can be an admonition. But what am I saying? I'm saying this, is that when we go into the Word of God, we are giving the Spirit of God ground to work with in us. That's what we're doing. We're going to the Word of God, and the Holy Spirit has something to work with in our hearts and our minds. And when He speaks to us, we're going to say, that makes complete sense, because over here He said, and over there He said, But if we're always saying, God, speak to me, 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 but we're not listening to what he has already spoken, we're going to miss the train sometimes. So when we go to the Scripture, God is completing how we're walking out our Christian life. He's equipping us for service. I can't help think about Rambo here. This is what I thought of. I love Rambo. Man, I remember when Rambo First Blood came out, I was like, I don't know why My dad let me watch it, but bless his heart for bringing me into the world of Rambo. You remember First Blood? You guys remember that movie? Man, when he jumped off that waterfall, I was like, this is the man. I mean, he's running through the woods. He's got like a potato sack on him. He's taking people out left and right. And don't even get me on Rambo 3, dragging him under a tank, blowing up a helicopter with an exploding arrow. Man, I was all about that stuff. And when I think about the idea of equipping, I think about Rambo, particularly in the later movies, because you remember he would finally get to that place where he had just had it, and it was time to call in Rambo, you know, John Rambo. And it has those quick cutaway scenes where he's like, and he pulls his shoes on. You know what I'm talking about. And then he throws bullets across his body, you know. And then you see him put the pain under his face. And then he takes that big knife and phew, he slides in, it cuts away, and then it shows a close-up of his face, and he ties that bandana on his head. You know what he was doing? He was getting equipped. Now, he wasn't getting equipped to do missionary work like Paul was, <laughs> but <laughs> he was getting equipped, you know. He was getting ready to go. You know, he walks out with two machine guns, you know. I mean, this man means business. Remember the time he got sh- Anyways, this, hey, thank you. Thank you very much, Andrew. My amen quarter for Rambo. <laughs> and so when this word equip, what this word equip means is that God takes the word of God and the spirit of God puts in, uh, put, basically you don't put in us. I should say he calls out of us what he's put in us. He makes us aware and alive to what the spirit of God has put in us when we trusted Jesus Christ as our savior. He equips he shows us how the, this, this, the armor of God, if we can put it that way, works in our lives. And he brings us into maturity. He don't want us floundering around in the nursery. He wants us to walk or sit, walk and stand as we're talking about on Wednesday nights. You're, and let me read a couple verses. I know I'm going over. I apologize. Or probably my Angela is going to kill me because they're back in children's church. But I'm going to finish up with this. I promise you. I told you I was going to say that twice. Now, Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, he who has begun the good work in you will complete it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. You see, your good works as a Christian are directly related and connected to his good work in you. You can't, we're not separating those two. We're not saying my good works are something that I'm doing for him. My good works are something that I'm doing with him. And you know what that does? It cripples man-made religion, and it tears down the walls of legalism because no longer am I serving to get grace. I'm serving from grace. Uh, no longer are we living for a position, of, uh, position for acceptance. We're living from a position of acceptance. Have you ever seen uh, my favorite book? And I shouldn't say book. One of my favorite movies is uh, because I tried to read the book and it was way too long. And uh, sorry, just being honest, <laughs> it was like somebody gave me the book. I saw the the movie, and I'm like, man, I really want to read this book. They gave me the book. I'm like, that's not gonna happen. That's not gonna happen. But thank you. But thank you. <laughs> it was like 700 pages. It's a Stephen King book, actually called 112263. Has anybody read that or seen that book? You, see, you probably watched it on Hulu. Come on, tell the truth. I did. I watched it on Hulu. Man, it was a great movie. It's about this guy who owns a diner that has, like, and it's a Stephen King book, so just bear with me. It's fiction. And uh, there's, like, this time wormhole, and the, you go through this wormhole, and every time you go through this time wormhole, it drops you off in November the 22nd, 1963, every time. And it doesn't matter how long you stay in that time frame. You've only been gone five minutes in this world. You know, so, but you age, and everything still happens to your body, and you come back, and you're a little bit older, even though you've only been gone five minutes. So anyways, purpose of the movie is, is this guy gets the idea that if he could just go back into time, in, uh, that November the 22nd, 1963, and live there until the JFK assassination, if he stops the JFK assassination, he's going to change all these terrible things that happened as a result of it. So the whole movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, sorry, deal with it. It's the only closing illustration I got. And uh, so finally he goes through there time and time again. He tries and fails and tries and fails, and he's got to go back to the time hole. And every time you go back through the time hole to present day, everything resets, and you got to start over again. It's like a weird Groundhog's Day or something. So he goes back, and finally, he stops the assassination. He captures Lee Harvey. I'm telling you the end, so just deal with it, people. And he stops him, and he goes back into present day thinking it's going to be this utopia, and everything has completely just fallen apart. Now, you say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? My point being is this. Paul looks at Timothy, and he says, look at the world around you, all right? there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to stop this. The more that you try to stop it, the worse things are going to get. You're not going to fix anything. It's going to get worse for you as you try to stop it. You see, the preaching the gospel is about us looking out into a world and saying Jesus Christ has already done something for you. He's already made the fix. I can't fix you. My church can't fix you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ can save you, sanctify you, fill you with a new life, and set you on your way. That's why I find it so interesting that in the last moments of Paul's life, he looked at Timothy and he said, preach the word. Be a man of character and preach the word. That's it. And if there's anything that any of us need that we can say dogmatically above everything else, everybody in this room including myself needs to know what God has said in his word in just a minute we're going to pray when we pray Daniel and Lauren are going to come up here and uh, they're going to meet with you afterward if you need prayer as well if you don't know what it's, if you do not know what it means to be born again i hope you'll get that settled today come see me somebody you trust somebody you know as a believer and take care of that matter if you're here today and you feel like you're kind of wavering, can I throw you a, an anchor? Go here. Don't, it's not a textbook, but it is very much the revelation of God to you, and he wants you to start here and move forward. Let's pray together, all right? <clears throat> Father, um, I'm thankful for the word of God. I'm thankful for the word of God because it's, it's you You've given us who you are in a form that we can read and understand. And then, Lord, not only did you give us the Scriptures, but you gave us the Holy Spirit of God. And then you've given us the life of Christ. You've given us a connection with you that can't be broken. You've given us everything in a permanent manner so that we can grow in that. And I pray for all of us as individual believers and as a church that you would rekindle within us a love for the Word of God, a desire to go into your Scriptures and that we pray that you would put in us a desire to hear the Spirit of God speak to us and lead us in a specific way that's individual to us in this life so that people might see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. Lord, we're all in different places here. We're all in different you know, areas of our walk. Some of us are walking in victory, and I pray that those that are, that they stay in that position. That some of us feel like we're struggling, but Lord, just because we feel that way doesn't mean we are, so I pray the Scripture would speak to that. I pray the Spirit of God would give insight and application. I pray that uh, you would give wisdom as we have the mind of Christ. I pray that we would uh, receive what you have to say to us. And Lord, I pray for those that, if there's anyone with us that doesn't know Christ, or if there's someone, Lord, listening online that's never been born again, I pray that today will be the day that you call them to yourself, eradicate their sin, and connect them to you forever by your Spirit. And Lord, thankful for what we have as a church And we have this because of you, and uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.